0: You are loved, you are worthy of love and you are needed. Be gentle on yourself and be absolutely fabulous while you're doing it.
1: (laughs)
2: is the best version of us, and how do we actually build it? I'm Lillian Spencer, and you're listening to The Remakers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Remakers. I am so thrilled that you are here today for a very special conversation with a very incredible leader. Dr. Emma Lee is an Aboriginal woman and leader from Northeast Tasmania in Australia, she is a trusted advisor to governments. She's a multi-award winning academic at the Center for Social Impact at the Swinburne University of Technology. She's in the media. She writes beautifully. She's been an archaeologist and done lots of other cool jobs too. But the thing that really first struck me was when I came across an article that she would written in 2019 talking about love bombing the Tasmanian government to win indigenous rights. I knew I really wanted to interview her and find out more about this whole approach that she has taken on really successfully um, to win some pretty incredible things, including finally having the recognition of First Nations in Tasmania's constitution. And This wasn't always her way of being. She describes being an angry activist in her younger years with a righteous anger that if anyone had the right to be angry and traumatized after being taught growing up that she didn't even exist as an Aboriginal Tasmanian, that it was her. But as she explains, as right as it was, my anger was also killing me. But my elders were gentle and opened up little gaps for hope. So into those gaps has come her whole approach that she calls love bombing. And it is just incredibly delightful to really dig into that philosophy, to where it's come from, to what she has to teach us about being gentle with ourselves and others, about being warriors, about failing, about kinship, belonging to country and to each other. I hope you can let these words just bathe your soul as you sit back and take in the wisdom of somebody who has transmuted anger into something even more powerful.
0: Thank you, dearest Lily. Um, I'm Dr. Emma Leigh. I'm a drawway woman from Corner country, which is now known as Northeast um, Tasmania in Australia, uh, I acknowledge ancestors and creators elders emerging leaders the lands and waters which I stand today and also from you know where the listeners are from thank you
2: I first found out about you through an article that you wrote back in 2019 and it struck me as the most powerful and most beautiful thing that you had written about love bombing (laughs) A parliament um, in your home state of Tasmania to advance Indigenous rights. And I remember sharing that article at the time through Australia Remade, the organization I work for, and the reaction that everyone had. And I just felt like I was witnessing some kind of Gandhi esque moment, you know, in Australian politics. And I was so taken by the kind of person. That would be able to do that and hold that kind of space and use love in the way that you talk about real revolutionary love as a strategy for not only sort of change but kind of life you know it just seems like something that you've come to really embody in all that you are so that's really what we're excited to talk to you about today and if you don't mind I'd like to read out a couple of the quotes of yours that are my favourites and just let you riff off them a little bit to get us started. Does that sound good? Oh, I can't wait to see what you're picking out, do Lily? <laughs> really? Fabulous. Um, so you wrote, Most people are shocked when I say, A Tasmanian liberal government, which in Australia, the liberals are the more conservative party, has created more rights in five years than the previous government did in 15 years. Can you talk a little bit more about that? It's it's really
0: it's quite interesting that most people consider the liberals, and I've got to say, you know, as a as a you know forty eight year old woman, um, in my twenties, you know, the liberals were just you know capitalists and horrible people, and you know they're out to just ruin us. And uh, and then I met a couple of them, <laughs> and the downfall began. right? <laughs> I started working with the Liberal government. I started to respect people for what they bring to our system of democracy as opposed to thinking about the sides that we play in politics. And and each person in Parliament is a human being that comes there with complexity of family, histories, you know, a joy and a vision. And, And when you... When you actually remove yourself, strangely enough, when you remove yourself from the politic and you look towards developing relationships, it doesn't actually matter who's in charge. I just actually found that
1: conservative government was more open to what we wanted to talk about as
0: Aboriginal Tasmanians for things like uh, business and regional development. And so they did not see me as a minority, a vulnerable, marginalised person, which is the general narrative around Indigenous peoples. They said, what does this mean for us and our policy so they, they didn't necessarily take this historical view of placing me in this little box of what I should be. They actually sat there and listened to what our communities want for broader regions, how we want to be able to bring our cultural strengths and assets to help our economies in our regions but not only just have the benefit come back to us as Aboriginal Tasmanians but for all people to share in this. And so the Liberal government allowed us to break a narrative that has defined Aboriginal and Tasmanian peoples 200-plus years. It was, a, it was an extraordinary moment of being able to recognise each other, to be able to See each other as both caring for this place that we love so much, this little island state in Tasmania.
1: And so it became a
0: matter of common goals rather than shared interests. This common goal that people are healthy, um, educated, uh, satisfied in their lives. I mean, for us as Indigenous peoples, the shared interest is that we have caring for country, that our ancestral law is reclaimed, being able to use in mainstream society. That's not necessarily, for us, that wasn't necessarily the starting point. That's what we bring to the table, but it's more than that. It's about caring for all Tasmanians, and as I say, you know, and as I say, it's Aboriginal and other Tasmanians. I started to change the language. I I don't talk about non-indigenous peoples. When we say indigenous and non-indigenous, I'm Aboriginal and Tasmanian. When I was born, I was a non-person. I was a non-human. I had no identity because government, the colonial government in 1876 declared our peoples extinct upon the death of our magnificent countrywoman woman, And so I understand what exclusion means very deeply. I was born into it. And so just even shifting and tweaking the terminology to say Indigenous and other Australians, uh, Aboriginal and other Tasmanians, actually started this this house building of inclusion and belonging to each other. It was an extraordinary moment to be able to just see how we can relate to each other in a politic
1: that wasn't created for Indigenous peoples.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You say we used love, real revolutionary love, to make Tasmanian society richer, fairer, and more meaningful. What is that real revolutionary love and how did you use it to affect these kinds of changes at the level of the place that you were born into and and live in and love?
1: Love, revolutionary love.
0: It's such a powerful concept because it says no matter how bad things are, I'm going to come at you with love. No matter what you do to me, how much you push me down, how much you discriminate against me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to double down. I'm going to increase that sense of love. This is, I mean, I'm 48 years old, I was born into a,
1: a politic of protest, to be able to state that we are here as Aboriginal and Tasmanian people, that these extinction myths are wrong.
0: And for 40 of those years since I was born,
1: we've had to go around and round and round that same circle, same argument, I know
0: it came down to, oh, well, it must be about degrees. Maybe you're a little bit Aboriginal but you're not authentic enough or maybe you're this or maybe you're that. And my baseline argument is always the same. We make a statement and someone else makes
1: a statement in opposition. and It's not getting us anywhere. It's not about taking sides. It's not about... Indigenous Australian terminology bignoting ourselves.
0: It's about the modesty and the humbleness of coming from country, to
1: know that I'm nothing without country, and in some ways country needs our peoples. And that love of country is elastic and it grows. It's this magic quality of country that when you love country, country loves you right back. And you're not lonely. Loneliness is killing us as a nation. And so revolutionary love, we actually take
0: ourselves, once again, separate ourselves out from the politic and the argument of what indigeneity is, degrees of authenticity, debates about what is history
1: and if we actually just sit back and be quiet and reflect for a moment, that we live here on country. Country gives us life and that country has its own agency, has its own journey. And if we sit and listen to that, that journey is love. Country is not a hellish place, it's not a painful place, it's a place of love. And so what's happened in Australia is that we have this thing of conservation where we carve out little chunks of country and put
0: a fence around it and say we're going to protect that and then the rest is like, oh, well, that's the city. It's not conservation. It's not country.
1: For Indigenous peoples, it doesn't matter where it is. Country is country. I can be in the middle of. Well, I'm sitting here in Canberra, coming to you. None are all country,
0: and I'm listening to the high rise as being raised up,
1: and yet I feel that connection with country. Country speaks here, and country is full of love. And so, this love, love, love with ancestors and the creator beings gave us. I, I, I want to be able to repair some of that damage that colonization has wrought. Because it's not just us
0: as Indigenous peoples who understand what colonisation has done and taken away. But other Australians are starting to grieve for the loss of knowledge if you try to use
1: an Indigenous language of connection. I've always been told through the media and history that that's wrong.
0: It's not right to speak in these ways. I'm discouraged
1: from it. It's considered dirty, considered evil, considered less than human. To use an Indigenous way, language, view, to be able to connect to country. And for me, decolonising work is to be able to say, I want to be able to
0: grieve together, Indigenous and other Australians, for what's been lost.
1: And I want to be able to inject this love. And our people in Tasmania were genocided so badly that our experience actually helped define the term genocide. And it's such a big role that I don't know if there's actually any repair against that. I mean, what can you possibly ask for to say that this is a reparation? And so I switched that question over. I made it into a statement of saying that as a proud Aboriginal Tasmanian woman, I love you. And I want you to love country like I do. And I want to recognize and acknowledge you as my brother and sister, auntie, uncle. And when we have that connection, we are less lonely. We have another way, another avenue to be able to express this love inside of us. I see other Australians as having all this love but not knowing where to put it. And if we put it into country and we're caring for country together as a common goal, then that's what love is and does. And I don't ask anything more from other Australians beyond the fact that there is a place for you here and it's filled with love. The country will take care of you.
2: Listening to you, um, I struggle to even come back and return to my brain to ask you the next question because the words bathe my soul. It is beautiful and healing to be able to even have a conversation like this. And I, it's the kind of conversation that um, you wish that every person in Australia, every person in the world could take part in at least once in their life. I'm curious about how you talk about in 2014 through a small group of our peoples, including elders, we began to repair this trauma of non-being by declaring love. Was there a moment for you? Was it a conversation? Was there something that clicked and you went, let's try, not even just let's try something different, but actually we are going to embody a very different approach and here's why? Or was it something kind of gradually that evolved and dawned?
1: Uh, with their elders, are so full of
0: joy and compassion, understanding and forgiveness. I mean, for me, Indigenous cultures are about failure and forgiveness. That's why we have elders. You're not expected to be successful. That's why we might sit there and watch an activity being done a thousand times before we'll have a go
1: at it there is an expectation that you need support because we don't get everything right. Western society in the, in the modern age has this expectation that you have to have a go but you have to be successful at it. And so we come at it from a different perspective
0: we, we're successful because we fail all the time, because our elders are there to guide us, growl at us, you know. you are doing that the wrong way? And, and the day that an elder is not uh, telling me off, you know, and telling me the right way and straightening me out is the day that I know that people are not investing in me. And so this love, this love of Failure and fall down and try again is always enveloped by the greatest sense of humour. Indigenous peoples are some of the funniest people in the world.
1: And, and so we have this sense of connection that, again, is based in this love. Um, and I see the frustration, the worry
0: of our elders that, future generations are going to have these struggles to be heard, to be human, to be recognised, to have a place for their culture because the media says, you know, and if you look at the statistics, we're only good enough for jail, poor health, low-quality education and jobs. But I'm no different. I grew up different. I grew up being told by my mother and my grandmother, you're as good
1: as any other person. They gave me a sense of my humanity. And and we honour and cherish our elders. We absolutely will do anything for our elders. And when they say we want we want a difference, we want peace. We want love. We want to enjoy things together. well then this is the,
0: this is the fabulous position of being a younger person who has a capacity and ability to do things. My elders gave me permission to go out there and love freely and generously everyone I could and create a place for them and in essence, it was our elders really sealed the deal for us when we go to these conservative politicians they say please come out on country, meet aunties and uncles and uh, they're very short statured people and so when you see these towering white conservative men just in absolute awe, giggles you know in front of a barely five foot you know, <laughs> auntie <laughs> telling them how like, much you know she's- so excited for you to be here and it was beautiful i have literally seen grown politicians cry at the joy of being with our elders on country and all of a sudden they got that sense of love
2: i'm curious if you have been inspired as well it, by any other movements. You mentioned uh, one revolutionary love project that was out of Ireland. Your work, of course, makes me think of some of the other great leaders um, of the past, like Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi, but I'm also hearing this very strong origin story right here in Australia and, and right here with you and your, and your elders in your community. So I'm just curious: Is it something that um, you were that you wove together from different models or different sources of kind of influence or inspiration, or was it just an organic, homegrown? This is going to be how we do things now.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because you know there's there's so many influences everywhere. they are young people. Our young people are just astonishing, gorgeous young people. You know, they've got this, but less anxious about the things of identity and culture I grew up with. I take my cues from our young people. They make me humble. They make me look deeply in myself and say, am I enough for them? Am I doing all that I can? To ensure that they will never have the struggles that we have
1: and I'm undoing that for the right reasons. And I, I look at women, women everywhere, beautiful burdens and responsibilities we have
0: and yet who can disagree with a mother's love? <laughs> That mother love to come home to when you're battered and bruised. Discrimination again. Uh, My mum would always say, uh, put your big girl pants on, you're more privileged than anyone else and I love you and go out there and get (laughs) them. It has to start with a home first, right?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about growing up and and some of those forces um, that shaped you, what kind of kid were you? Were you a quiet kid? Were you a boisterous kid? I was a
0: naughty child. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I love
0: that. I had the hugest grin on my face as I was, you know, being naughty, right? Actively going against instruction. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a terrible student at school. I was <laughs> frustrated, and, you know, but I always had this sense of humour about me. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of easy to forgive me on many occasions <laughs> you know, besides those ones where it wasn't, but uh <laughs> I come from strong women. Aboriginal Tasmanian culture, it's very much a matriarchal culture because of the
1: nature of our genocide, our men were on the brink. So our women, the ones who were
0: able to ensure that our cultural practices continued, quite a bit of research at the moment about women know um, taken to a and the roundups in Tasmania occurred in the 1830s, and
1: we were removed from country and put onto a little island in the Bass Strait between Victoria and Tasmania. And our women were bolshee. They didn't care what these
0: jailers said, they ignored them. They did their own thing. They went out bush
1: and camped, they kept our culture alive. And so this sense of never being bowed, never, ever, ever being bowed, we might be subject to the conditions of our incarceration, but that does not preclude our power to to be proud, strong, bullshy, Black women,
0: and I take my cues from these ancestral women, these generational women in my family,
1: kept our families alive, kept our culture alive, kept that spirit alive. It's the most glorious childhood and beginning.
0: I know how fortunate I am even in this outside world that
1: denied my very existence, this inside world, says that we are strong, we are wonderful, and we will continue. (laughs) And so
0: there's so many, I mean, you know, I, I, I take my cues from the world's greatest leaders. But it's unsung heroes that are in my playbook.
2: If you're enjoying this conversation and want more, you can check out our website, AustraliaRemade.org. Really doesn't matter where you live because this website has some pretty universal themes and stories and a beautiful vision that we wove together from listening to people from all walks of life answer the question, Imagine you have woken up in the country of your dreams. What is it like? So I hope there'll be something there that will resonate or inspire you. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, ideas, or feedback, the podcast email is podcast at australiaremade.org. Thanks. You've written about the difference between being an activist and a warrior and that it has to do with a certain kind of gentleness that you learned at the feet of your elders. Can you tell us about that a little bit and about what you think that means for Aboriginal and other Australians to be warriors and what the difference between a warrior and an activist might be?
0: This is what I really like about
1: Remakers because there's a place for all of us in this program You don't have to be the biggest or brightest. You can be vibrant and and of your own self and your own strengths and still have a place in Remakers. Inclusion, well, it's such a buzzword, but there's values behind it. And inclusion isn't saying, oh, we welcome the marginalised and vulnerable, you know. Dispossessed. Inclusion is about saying that it will bring a whole heap of attitudes and behaviours with them. Sometimes it's those who are not shouty, not loud, who are the quiet ones, who don't say much, the most powerful ones, because they're gentle, This is again, you know, cultural strength and asset about failure. Those quiet ones allow us to have our say and see our hurt and see our strengths. And they're there to support us. Indigenous Australians. We don't we don't necessarily do things like uh, it's say, so, oh, we have disabled,
0: uh, uh, we have a disabled group, you know, within our populations. It's like, oh, I can go over there and see that one with the wonky leg, you know. It's, it's not about, <laughs> it's, it's who you are. No, it's,
1: it's not this special category. It's who you are. And because failure is built into our system, We're allowed to be gentle on ourselves. It's what I love about remakers. Is your heart good? Do you know that law? Are you respecting our elders? Are you ensuring that our future generations are looked after? It doesn't come out of an economic plan, numbers game. It comes out of who are you? And I, are, are you healthy? Because being gentle on yourself says, what good are you to me if you're not happy and healthy? You don't care that you might run the biggest non government organisation good things. Are you healthy? Are you okay? Are you being gentle on yourself? Because this thing of improving ourselves, it's very much a Western concept. We have to get bigger, brighter, faster. As an Aboriginal Tasmanian woman, my aspiration is to be an elder. But that comes out of experience, culture, Country, there's no, there's no amount of awards that you
0: can win that makes you an elder. <laughs> right. yeah, there's no, there's no monetary gain. You know, there's no KPIs here. <laughs> there's no accounting system of am I a
1: successful person right?
0: beyond the fact that I know culture, country, community that my elders
1: may anoint me as such, you know, or maybe not maybe I'll never be an elder, but that's okay too because I have care, I care for myself and when I care for myself, I know I'm also caring for country.
0: And sometimes I wonder, is country actually caring for me so that I can be gentle on myself? I'm
1: still trying to work this one out. I may never have those answers. Being gentle on yourself, for me, is a, is a reflection on cultural processes of deep listening careful responses, slowing everything down. Uh, I mean, I work at a frenetic pace, but at the same time, I recognise that every day I'm going to fail. And so I'm going to be gentle on myself. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to pretend I know everything. But I
0: will be brave, putting forward a view library makers
1: everyone has special gift most of us just don't know what it is we've lost that sense of valuing because so we've attached it to other other measures that aren't aren't of country And so being gentle, to be a warrior It's to be here for the long haul. It's to say some days, oh, I just can't deal with this. I'm just going to go for a walk. And that's good too. And other days it's about jumping out of bed and just saying, right, I'm going to drop these love bombs wherever I can, right? <laughs> it's about... Maintaining yourself for the long haul. Because to be in human rights,
0: there's no end goal here. No one's ever pointed out a finish line to me. What, is, what does a finish line actually look like in Indigenous
1: rights? So it's a lifelong process. Now, there's, no, there's no defined end point. And when you can live with that uncertainty that your job will never be done, no matter how good you do, how much you might achieve, it will never be finished. We will, we will die knowing that at work is incomplete. And that's where I ask people to be gentle on themselves. It's not about regret. It's not about wanting to do more. It's about saying every day I turned
0: up in the capacity that I have to make a difference.
1: Some days I fail. Some days I had massive success. But I'm going to come back tomorrow. Anger. Anger can sustain that for a little bit. But... If you like me, you'll find out they'll end up killing you. And so if it's not anger or
0: outrage that is sustaining you in this long journey, what is
1: it? And so to be a warrior is to have love. And it almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But to be a warrior is all about the generosity of yourself to yourself, so you can be good for others.
2: Thank you so much for that beautiful, beautiful answer. And you've also talked about for other Australians to be a warrior is to look around every day and see the potential and opportunity to bring positive change for Indigenous peoples. A warrior will never reinforce the anxiety and fears of Indigenous peoples through outrage on our behalf but will give us the best day of our lives in the worst moments. Yes, yes.
1: It's something where I've read this, um,
0: with great responsibility comes no power at
1: all.
0: (laughs) 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 And so I say that actually... We all do have a power. When we have a good attitude, when we love country, when we realise that we're probably going to fail.
1: And I know that when I talk to people in my worst moment, I just want someone there to be able to say, It's
0: all good, girl. I'm here and I've listened to you. There's
1: not much I can do, but I can reflect on your story and I will treat it with respect. And I'll think about that. For me, it's a reflection moment. How do, how do we deal with the trauma of Indigenous peoples,
0: dispossession and exile and genocide? It's not really a cosy breakfast cup of tea (laughs) situation right it's just you know it's like oh oh it's a little bit too much for me you know at 8.30 in the morning (laughs) but what I want and I want people to you know I mean yes
1: you can have that outrage but for other Australians it's not yours to own what I need for you is to have that power of your own self and
0: your own agency and say, what can I do then? I mean, I've worked at a petrol station. I've done every kind of
1: strange and job. I knew I had a power to ask, do we have a reconciliation
0: plan? So I'm, you know, which is quite different do we have a reconciliation plan and could I participate in that which is quite different from oh, you people how dare you <laughs> we need this <laughs> because I used to be that person and I look back and it's such a turn off <laughs> but at the same time I, I had to be
1: there in my 20s you know, 30s I had to but, but when I'm asking this question, I'm trying to create a space of inclusion, and if someone
0: says to me, oh, we don't have that and you can't participate in it, these days I go, oh, that's a shame. Could we do something? And if they say no, well, you know, it's not the time. A warrior chooses their time.
1: A warrior has to choose their time. Don't waste your human capital on fighting battles that you'll never win. Maybe you might have to sit
0: it out for a year. Maybe you might have to come at it from a different angle. But a warrior says, okay, I'm just going to leave that to one side for the moment. We're going to have a think about that. What does that actually mean when they say no, no, no? Well, what can I do in my job then? Might be a little bit sneaky. Might do a little dance. Maybe I might introduce a new statistic into my reporting or maybe I might have a new narrative or maybe I might mention a group
1: that's not not often thought of. All those little moments add up to a beautiful bouquet. It can develop into most beautiful rides. And so everyone has a place. I'm walking with us, everyone. I genuinely believe that. Because, once again, it helps people realize that there's beauty in the small things. There's a gorgeousness in life, thinking the place that we live, the benefits that we can bring to people. So everything counts. It's just that we're not always here to be able to acknowledge it as Indigenous peoples.
0: That saddens me. That will never know, genuine and true extent, the massive amount of change that people are
1: making every day by just saying, "Turnly to themselves, hang on a moment, am I missing out something here? And I just love every person, just as a moment, consider a question. Maybe they act on it, maybe they don't. I don't hold that against people. That's being gentle. We can only do what we can do.
0: And so these people are my heroes.
2: You've spoken so humbly about your your work and about failing and the permission to fail and the expectation to fail, which, oh my goodness, I wish we could shout that message from the rooftops more in mainstream Western, you know, culture. But, you know, you've also accomplished and been part of some really incredible things, a very unique global standard of Indigenous education curriculum that has come to fruition. Uh, The first joint management plan over a protected area in Tasmania, amending the state's constitution so that Tasmanian Australians actually exist. I'm just curious, in your work so far, what stands out to you? What are you most proud of that you've been able to, to help birth into the world or be part of?
1: First
0: up, it's the fact that my mom,
2: <laughs> my poor mother, I'm just thinking about
0: the, being the naughty child, and I'll finally come good. <laughs> She doesn't have to worry about me. <laughs> I'm real proud of that one.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the, I'm proud of the spaces created,
1: Indigenous knowledges to be respected because it have been um,
0: earlier this year, January 2021. The International Union for Conservation of Nature, which is which advises UN bodies like the World Heritage Area and the um, Conventional Biological Diversity, you know, all those big UN big letter names. And uh overprotected areas, which is things like national parks, um, conservation reserves. They have uh, best practice guidelines and uh, the 32nd one that was released earlier this year on cultural and spiritual values of protected areas. Um, I became the first Indigenous
1: Australian editor on an international standard for conservation. And I'm proud of that, one, because basically there's
0: no role models at the UN level. So few Indigenous peoples. So, you know, you have to gate crash your way in. You've literally got to blag your way in. I'll <laughs> we'll do a great line in blag. And, uh,
1: <laughs> and, and to see Indigenous ways of caring for country embedded at the highest level of conservation when it's only in
0: 2003. they have is a World Parks Congress that happens every 10 years where they set out decade planning for conservation areas. 2003, it was held in Durban in South Africa. It's the first time Indigenous peoples were
1: allowed to speak, make statements, connection. And so I'm really proud of the IUCN out of the past
0: 20 years to be able to incorporate Indigenous views because, of course,
1: as people don't realise that every protected area across the world, we bar Antarctica, is an Indigenous land and sea taken from us, colonised from us.
0: And so, of course, Indigenous peoples can't be welcomed to conservation, can they, because we'd have to
1: recognise genocide and exile and dispossession That goes along with nature. We're starting to embed new narratives in this. Because, strangely enough, the heart of conservation, which is the
0: connection we have as humans to country, paradoxically, those values have never been protected before. (laughs) It's always been about the biology, the geography the grand science of conservation.
1: And, of course, people's connection to a place is generally wrapped up in tourism, tourism values. Actually, it's more than that. How are we meant to keep country healthy if we continue to say to people, you can look but you can't touch? You can only go in there if you've got the money in your mobile, if you're an elite selective group. These kinds of attitudes are actually against the very heart of caring for country because country needs
0: people. Country has to have people who care for her, to
1: manage her, to listen to her have it take care of us. And so to have Indigenous views now setting international
0: standards and Indigenous ways of caring for countries is enduring, complex and desirable. I'm really quite proud of that.
2: Dr. Lee, we're almost out of time and I know you've got a plane to catch. So. I just wanted to end by asking you if you have any advice that you could offer us, maybe someone who's living in another corner of the world or working in a really different issue or space. What would you say to them about the big, beautiful, messy work of real revolutionary love and how they might apply it to something that they care about?
1: Before, you know, I mean,
0: literally in 40s, I've gone back to do a PhD And at this point in time I'm ready for the, you know, to be able to practise revolutionary love. But prior to that, every time I heard on the news or read a history book or whatever, and I'd hear Aboriginal people, Aboriginal people are lazy, Aboriginal people are in jail, Aboriginal people are unhealthy, I'd actually
1: hear my name, Emma, is unhealthy, useless, ridiculous, not even human, (laughs) It was very personal to me that journey. Age is a wonderful tempering
0: of experience, and uh, I learned to separate myself out so
1: that I don't actually hear my name now. And it gave me this strange superpower that I wasn't affected anymore by the negativity of other people's ignorance. It actually
0: feeds the love, strangely enough. And of course, there's days when I'm down, there's days when I'm frustrated, there's days when I go home and scream into my armpit, you know, I have a bit of a whinge, you know, and then put my big girl pants back on. But, but uh, <laughs> When you're lucky enough as an Indigenous person to have a, a wee little platform I think it's incumbent upon us to recognise that it's not about us; it's about what we can do in that journey that will never be finished to make sure that the next generations looked after Indigenous and other Australians.
1: And so that's how I'm gentle with myself, because I tell people this: you know, I finish it up. You are loved. You're worthy of love and you're needed.
0: Be gentle on yourself and be absolutely fabulous while you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Because a little bit of sparkle never goes astray, right?
2: (laughs) A little bit of sparkle never goes astray. Thank you, Dr. Emily, for this amazing conversation. Thank you for being truly fabulous and embodying love in all that you do. I can tell you guys this love bombing thing is not just reserved for premiers and world leaders from my first interaction with her. She exuded a kind of love and invitation to belonging and worthiness that is rare and precious and an incredible role model to see in the world. So thank you so much for just showing us that way of being in the world and that way of leading in the world. I think that this has been one of the best conversations I've ever had. And I'm so thrilled to be able to share it with all of you. I hope that you've enjoyed it and I cannot wait to have the next one. So be sure to follow along and tune in next time here at The Remakers. This has been The Remakers, a podcast by Australia Remade. We celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and cultures at the very heart of what it is to be Australian. That is 60,000 years as the oldest continuing civilization on earth. I record this podcast from Dara Country, which is just north of Sydney. I want to pay my deepest respects to elders past, present and emerging on this land. I also want to thank my collaborator-in-chief and sometimes special guest co-host Millie Rooney. Also, a huge thank you to our producer, Anna Wilson, and our chair, Louise Tarrant. If you like our theme song, it is by the Duke of Norfolk. You can learn more about Australia Remade and get links and show notes over on our website. That's AustraliaRemade.org and click on the podcast tab. Follow us so you never miss an episode. Be sure to spread the word. If you're feeling extra amazing, you can rate and review. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time.